continue our study of the Gospel of John. We are in chapter 4, and we are studying um, the particular episode in which Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman, or rather I would say the woman encountering this person of Jesus. And today I've titled the message, Focusing on the Essential, 본질에 초점을 맞추다. From chapter 4, verses 20 to 26. So let's turn to the text and let's read this out loud together. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus replied, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Amen. We've been studying Jesus' strategy of evangelism for the past few weeks. And uh, I mentioned previously that uh, some of the key strategies in the mind of the Lord have to do with relationship between him and the recipient of the gospel or the one that he's trying to evangelize and convert. And in order to get truly connected with that individual or group of people, Jesus had to do certain things in terms of communication. And that's what I've been talking about for the past few weeks. First thing he started doing was actually breaking down the barriers one by one the ethnic barrier that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. He wanted to break down, so he reached out to the Samaritan woman as a Jewish man. He wanted to break down the gender barrier. Men and women do not associate in the public, and yet he was willing to converse with her, and he approached her this way. There was a moral barrier. Jesus knew that this woman was a woman with a reputation, and yet that is not the area that he wanted to focus upon. Uh, even though he didn't mention the fact that she had five husbands and the one that she's living with was not her husband, uh, she was leading a relatively immoral lifestyle, but Jesus did not pick on that. He just wanted to point out that so that she would recognize that this was no ordinary man, he had, that he had some kind of inside knowledge about who she was. So he just wanted to break down all the barriers. I think we can all agree that ethnic barriers need to come down, right? Racial barriers, class barriers, gender barriers. But what about moral bar barriers? I know the gospel imposes a way of righteousness, imposes proper moral and ethical values. And yet, at the very beginning, we cannot impose that upon people because they're not going to be able to live up to that standard. They will never be able to come to Christ if we say, clean up all your messes and get yourself right. 
then come to the Lord. Even when they repent of their sins and say, I want to get rid of them, there's, there are still a lot of problems that they have. Addictions, certain ties, certain sore ties, certain issues that they have that has to do with immorality and unethical lifestyle. But as Jesus enters into their lives, he has a way of influencing them so that they can let go of those sins. First, you've got to give them something. Then they will be able to let go. But to demand that they let go of everything in order to accept the Lord Jesus would be a very difficult thing. So Jesus never made a major condition. He offered the gift of eternal life first. And then he asked her to relinquish her sinful ways of life. Another thing that Jesus did was he wanted to really make connection in terms of communication. Not all communications really connect. You know that. You know, sometimes we have like one-way communication that, you know, you think you're connecting, but you, you're not listening to the other person. Two-way communication, but they never really connect because you're both talking at the same time, but no one's really listening. But Jesus wanted to make the type of connection in his communication with this woman. And we can learn from him. First thing you have to do is you have to let go of prejudice or judgment. Anytime you have certain bias against that person, it's very difficult to communicate in a way that connects. You have to be interactional and conversational. You have to continue that back and forth type of conversation. It doesn't just, just happen with one round of conversation. Whew. I listen to my wife. Wow. Somehow I, I'm making connection already. Yes, you're making the connection, but you've got to continue on. You have to express yourself. You have to listen, express yourself. Listen. Sometimes it, it may be an all-nighter. I've had many rounds like that with my wife in the past. You know, all-rounders. And it was worth the investment. Because when you do that, there is a type of connection that you make. And then Jesus, of course, was really willing to offer something that it would be relevant to her and necessary. Sometimes in our communication relation with people, we are offering something that is not relevant to them. You might think it's very valuable for you, but it's not of any value or relevance see, to that person. So you have to know what that person needs and offer that to that person. That person may not appreciate it right away or know what that is. Know the value of that right, right away. That's why Jesus has to get deeper, deeper into her heart to show her that this is what she really wants. So that leads to the third point, third strategy that Jesus wanted to penetrate into the depth, depth of her soul. Okay. And when we talk about depth in a human being, human beings are deep beings. Did you know that? You guys are deep. Whether you like it or not, you are deep. There are layers of depth. We operate in the surface level with the physical and sometimes with the mental sometimes with the lip service and all that, but there's a deeper level. And I want to tell you about four levels of depth that each human being has. I would say we have, each one of us have a well, personal well that we are not even aware of. We haven't dug that deep. You know, it's all clogged up, it's congested, uh, filled with debris, and filled with what we call false sense of self. And we need to dig in deep to get at where we really, who we really are. First thing we need to 
cultivate is a sense of philosophical depth. Asking questions like, who am I? Why was I born? I'm sure we all asked that question before, but some people live their life for many decades without ever asking this question. And then when they get to midlife, or right before their death, they ask this crucial philosophical question like, who am I? Why was I born? What was I destined for? <laughs> and it may be too late then. So ask when you're young. Get your children when, you're, when they're young to ask that question. Who am I, Dad? Who am I, Mom? Why did God make me and place me here on Earth? Very important. Philosophical depth. There's the ethical or moral depth that each one of us has. We ask the question about what is right, what is wrong, what kind of person we should be. We say the same thing with our little children. We want you to be a good person, kind person, the one who does the right thing, makes the right decision, that kind of depth. Now, I believe the Samaritan woman may have been asking all these questions, but she was trapped. She didn't know what to do with her present situation, and she had this false sense of identity that could only be met by having many men in her life. That wasn't her identity at all. She was picking on the identity, uh, piggyback riding on men's identity. And sometimes women do that in a society where it's more patriarchal, uh, dominated society. Women cannot find their own sense of identity, so they piggyback ride on their husband's identity or some men of reputation, their identity. And Jesus wants to approach her on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And so what he dealt with, in her case, was the issue of psychological depth. How can I be free to be truly me? But we got all these psychological barriers, all the issues, all the cover-ups, all the facades, smokescreen. And Jesus wanted to get into the depth of her to show her who she is. That's why he had to point out the fact that she had five men. And the one that she's living with right now is not her husband. He had to point out that he's the only one who knew her past. And this whole thing about secrecy, this whole thing about you know, um, concealing herself and repressing all that is of the past, you will never be able to discover yourself. In the process of discovering your true self, you will also discover a lot of things that have to do with your false sense of self, your hypocrisy, your lies and deceptions. You will discover that. It's, 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 it's painful process when you dig up all that. You gotta dig up all that junk and, and all that debris to get at the true sense of self as to who you are. Finally, Jesus really touched her at this point, and this is what we call spiritual depth. It has to do with the real longing that is in the heart of this woman. What was she longing for? And she thought Jesus was talking about water that can just quench her thirst, or some kind of secret type of water so that it will be convenient for her not to have to come to the well all the time. But Jesus was getting at the spiritual thirst. 
and he was offering her spiritual water, that is the Holy Spirit, that is God himself who is going to come and dwell inside of each one of us to satisfy the longings of our souls. As the deer pants after the water, so our souls long after God, God's Spirit. And God's Spirit wants to minister to us. And so Jesus was giving this message about spirituality, the need for the Holy Spirit. But it was right here and then when she recognized that this was no ordinary man. So she said, I see that you're a prophet. Because you, you could not have known this unless you're a, a prophet of God. That she completely changed the conversation, enters into whole new uh, ideas. And we're going to try to work with that text at this time. And today I'm going to focus upon one more strategy of Jesus' evangelism, and that is focusing on the essential. Focusing on the essential. Could you repeat after me? Focusing on the essential. What are you focusing on in life? What are you focusing on in, in Christianity? What's your focus? Are you focusing on the, the essential or the peripheral? I guess that's what I want to challenge you today. Whether you are really focusing on the essential or you're always talking about the peripheral. The surface level stuff. The things that you see, the things that you touch, the things that you feel, or something that is truly, truly that you really need. That you really should desire. And that is the essential things. And we're going to talk about this in the context of worship, but I don't want to just talk about worship today. I want to talk about everything in our life, because I think it's the same principle, whether it be worship or anything we do in our life as Christians. We focus on the essential. Peripheral is secondary. If we switch that around and we get that priority wrong, then we really miss the point that Jesus wants us to get at in our lives. Okay, let's uh, look at verse 20. And this is what the woman says. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. She had, she had this hang-up about the place, the location which was very important for the Samaritans because they were competing with the, the Jews, with their Jerusalem temple. And so they had also constructed a temple on Mount Gerizim during the time of Nehemiah. And what happened was in the second century, that temple was destroyed. I told you about the Maccabean um, dynasty, Hasmonean, uh, dynasty, one of the kings came and actually destroyed this temple. But they still had this reminiscence. They wanted to keep this location as the site of the holy temple because they were denied of going to Jerusalem to participate in that temple. Okay? And so they started competing with the Jews. You know, it's like the north and south. It's Pyongyang or Seoul. You know, it, that, it's that kind of competition. So what is Jesus saying when he says, 
listen, I'm a Jew, and I know we have the temple in Jerusalem, but the time will come when that's not going to be important anymore. The physical location is not going to be important anymore. The physical temple itself is not going to be important anymore. I don't know whether he was prophesying that sometime in A.D. 70, the temple in Jerusalem will be destroyed by the Romans. Of course, after that, we cannot just return back to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. There's no temple. So what Jesus is saying is, we're going to, you're going to be experiencing worship with such a sense of freedom that it's not going to be geographically defined. It's not even going to be defined in terms of building. It's not going to be defined in terms of some kind of tradition or formality. Because the gift that I'm offering to you is the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit is residing inside of you, so you are the mobile worship center. And yet the Jews and the Samaritans in those days, they believed that it had to be some kind of location. That's why they had a, a religious matter. They felt that their, their region was the, the sacred spot. But Jesus is saying none of this. I want to take one more step further and say, even methods and means in worship is not as important. I know we make a deal, big deal about style of worship. Do we do it the Presbyterian style, much more quiet and reserved? Or do we worship like the Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox, the liturgical style, the high church style? No. Or do we do it like the the way the charismatics do, spontaneous ways of worshiping, you know, word of the Lord or some word of knowledge or prophecy just popping out in the midst of worship. And people make a big deal about this. You, you read these books on worship and praise, and they talk about all this technique and means as though there's something so sacred about them. I don't think it has to do with techniques either. I don't think it has to do with means or any kind of methodology. Jesus did not mention anything about technique or means or methodology or some kind of formality. He didn't talk about any kind of formula, as a matter of fact. You can't find that. I think what Jesus is saying is, you're going to experience a type of freedom in worship you've never experienced before. That's the first thing that he's saying. Freedom of worship. How many of you feel free when you worship God? When you come to church? When you're on your own trying to pray or spend time with God? Or are you bound by certain formality? I have to do this. I have to do this to gain the brownie point. I have to do this because God will not be pleased if I don't. Are you trapped by these kind of thoughts? How would you like it if your children were so afraid of you and so sensitive, they don't disappoint you because you have cert set certain rules and regulations and protocols about coming to you to talk to you. Okay, when you come to mom and dad, you always address us as ma'am, sir, and always bow, and always make sure that you knock. I mean, we teach them the discipline. We do that with Anna as well. But the thing is, what we want to get across to them is you have total freedom access. Dad, mom, 
anytime, except during worship time, of course. <laughs> are they sensing that? Are they sensing so many rules and regulations that we're setting for them? They feel like they have to watch themselves before coming and communicating with you. I'm not saying that we should do this or that. I'm just saying that Jesus understands how to relate to the Father. And he's saying there's none of these rules and regulations when you come to the Father. He's your Abba, Daddy. And more small you are, more childlike you are, you can experience more freedom. Daddy. And that's why I understand when I go to certain worship settings and people who just came to the Lord, just freshly got converted, they do strange things. They do real strange things out of spontaneity and freedom because their hearts are overwhelmed with, with love and passion for Jesus. I heard that uh, Jinyo did the same thing about some seven years ago, and he had a little trouble with the church that he was in because <laughs> she went a little too wild and ballistic. You know. I remember when we were experiencing uh, sort of a charismatic renewal in our old, old church, Mijin, she went ballistic. And she just was like so wild in the Holy Spirit. That's all right. That's all right to experience that kind of freedom. I mean, if you guys experience something by the power of the Holy Spirit, you want to go free? Just talk to the pastors. Let us know what's going on because we might not be able to discern that to be whether the Holy Spirit or the demon spirit. So once we know that that's what you're doing, you're conscious of what you're doing, we'll let you be. There's place for freedom. We should never make this worship such a regulated thing that it's like putting people in a straitjacket. And we should never let this be our communication with our children. Mom and dad, we're more, what is more important for us is the rules and regulations. No, more important is freedom of communication. You know, I don't know about you, but when you become parents of teenagers, that's a scary thing, to open yourself up and say, tell us anything that ever happens or whatever you're thinking or plotting, you tell us. You've got to be able to take it because they're going to get into a lot of mess and it's going to be scary. I don't want to know. If you're, going to, if you're not going to do something right, I don't want to know. Don't tell us about it. Do it in the dark somewhere. That's not what you want to say to them. You're going to say to them, if you're going to do something in the dark, you better let us know because we're going to shine the light on you. Okay? And we're going to be tracing you. We're going to be tailing you. We're going to be right there. You know? And uh, I've had my occasions like that with my daughters. And it's been an amazing, amazing journey of trial and suffering and, and headaches and heartaches. But I'm glad we made that a policy. And my children just this summer came and showed us how much they appreciated the fact that we are very open-minded parents to them. That's the bottom line. Open the line of communication. Second thing I want to say about worship is that just because we're free doesn't mean we do whatever, you know, whatever I feel like, whatever I, I think is right. No. Look at what Jesus says in verse 22. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. 
Jesus is saying that there has to be some kind of understanding, some kind of knowledge about who God is. Because how do you know that your worship or your self-expression is directed towards the true God and not some new age uh, notion of spirit being? I, I don't want to say much about how to do worship, but I do want to say, make one thing very clear. The object of worship. God himself, who he is. You need to have a clear understanding of who he is. He is Trinity. He is not just monistic God. He is triune God. God in three persons. That's biblical. That God came in the flesh through Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is both God and man. That's truth. If you compromise these, and just one more, that the Holy Spirit, who is God, dwells inside of us and He makes us the temple of God. If you miss out on any of these essential truths, then you miss out altogether what it means to engage in true Christian worship. It may be worship of some other gods or some other idols. And I don't want you falling for that. So on one hand, I like to emphasize freedom and spontaneity. But on the other hand, I like to say, but there's that focus. Are you focusing on the true object of your worship? But if you're ignorant of the true object of worship, what do you fall into? Subjectivism. Me-centered. Oh, my feeling. Oh, that's how I, you know, all this me, myself. Or mysticism. Oh, you know, kind of, you know, in cloud nine, always talking like this or always thinking like this. And then eventually you become food for the devil. You get deceived, then you fall into heresy. I've seen a lot of people falling into this because the object of worship was not clear. And sometimes, people who get really emotional and talk about freedom in the Holy Spirit, they become the object of worship. And it's their self-expression. Oh, I, I like expressing myself. I feel good. And you know, all the intimate songs is not directed to Jesus. It's actually kind of like self-engrossed type of entertainment for your self-satisfaction. That's not what we want. We want to be enlightened in worship. That means we have to have proper focus on the person of God. And we have to make sure that oh, we are always directing our worship to the person of God. So let us not make the same mistake that the Samaritans did. Worshiping what they do not know. Let us worship what we do know. Who we know. That's the most important thing. That's where salvation is. Third thing I want to say is that famous uh, statement by Jesus about worshiping in spirit and in truth in verse 23. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Verse 24, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So how shall we worship God? Jesus said it. Very clear, worship in the spirit and in truth. What did he mean by in the spirit? Now, the NIV um, editors, they, they put a, a, a definite article there, the spirit, to clearly say that this is referring to the Holy Spirit. And I believe that's correct. But most of the translation is like in spirit, so you don't know. Spirit is in small letters, so 
you think, is it just like my spirit? I worship in my spirit? You know? Or just kind of some kind of spiritual realm, I just enter into some dimension? But I believe that it is correct to translate this as the spirit in the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus just talked about the Holy Spirit as the gift that he's offering to this woman. Now he's saying, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, then you must worship in the Holy Spirit. That is, you are led by the Holy Spirit. That you're not just worshiping on your own. That the Spirit becomes your guide. That means you have to be sensitive. That means you cannot just do whatever, but you have to be led by the Spirit of God. Work together with the Spirit of God because He's the Spirit of truth. And the second thing is the truth. What is the truth? Well, we need to be scripture-based. That's the truth. But ultimately, it should be Christ-centered because the truth is none other than Jesus Christ. To worship that is centered on Jesus. Jesus is everywhere in worship. Everything we do has to do with Jesus. It has to be to Jesus, through Jesus, by the grace of Jesus. It has to be, everything's about Jesus in our worship. But having said that, in order to really understand this concept in a very simple, down-to-earth way, just worship God in the most authentic way, most genuine way, and in a humble way, saying, Lord, I need help. Holy Spirit, guide me, lead me. Show me the way. And I, I really want truth. Show me the truth, Father, and worship like that. In other words, what is opposite of worshiping in spirit and in truth? It's having this kind of a, a system of worship kind of glorifying worship, making worship like some kind of pageantry, making worship into some program. I think that's what Jesus is arguing against. No, it's very simple. Keep it simple. Stupid. K-I-S-S. Yeah, because we try to make it so complicated in worship. A lot of formalities, a lot of stuff, a lot of protocols, a lot of... If we do this, if we do that, then there will be a breakthrough in worship. You know, uh, I've been a Christian uh, how many years now? Over 35 years. And I've seen a lot of things in my life. And I've attended many, many conferences, a lot of worship conferences. And oftentimes you get this notion at this conference, like there's something that we, we don't really know. That if it is only, if we worship only this way, or if we have, you know, prophecy in worship, if we have signs and wonders following it, if the, you know, dust of gold falls from heaven and touches us, then we are in the heavenly worship. People give you all these notions, and I came to a conclusion. No, 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 no. Listen to what Jesus says. Keep it simple. In spirit and in truth. And that's the guidance that he's giving us. Finally, we see in verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. By the way, you know the term Messiah literally means as Mashiach in Hebrew, and Christo, that's in Greek. You know what it means? The literal translation of that is the anointed one. That means the one who is anointed by the Spirit of God. Okay? He's the one that the Jews have been uh, waiting for. He's coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And she, as a Samaritan, she's also claiming the Messiah. 
who is essential for their spirituality. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am He. I know, it, it just seems like a, a sentence, right? Him just responding with a statement. That's right, I'm the one you're speaking to. I, I'm that person. But actually, it's almost as though Jesus is making a point because I am, in Greek, is ego eimi. And we know that all throughout the Gospel of John, I am is mentioned something like 24 times. And at least seven of them are very clear statement that he's making about his divine attribute or his divine identity. How do we know this? Because I am, if you translate it into Hebrew, it would be A-A. And that, is, that would be in first person, but if it's in third person singular, it would be Yahweh. Do you remember in, um, in the book of Ex Exodus, where Moses was given the name of God, and God says, uh, A.A.? A.A. has sent you. Tell them, A.A. has sent you. So when God calls himself, he says, A.A. When we call him, we say, Yahweh. His name is verb. Simply means am, is, or will be. And he did that because his name, there needs to be something attached to that name. Like, I am the healing for you. I am the provider for you. I am the banner for you. I am here for you. There's this relational aspect to this name. I don't want to go into long uh, theological discussion about this. I just want to say simply that when Jesus is saying, I am, and later he just says, I am. I was before Abraham, and then the Jews you know, picked up stones to try to kill him because they knew that he just committed the sin of blasphemy, claiming that he was God. Because that was the name of God in those days. So what we are seeing here is that even though the Jews and the Samaritans only had expectation about a Messiah, some kind of human figure who will come, they had no notion that this human figure will actually be God who came incarnate in the human form. That would have been way out of their league to think about. But what Jesus is saying when he's making this statement, I am, he's couching it by saying, I'm really God who has come down to mediate between you and God the Father. Okay. This mediation is very important. This woman needed a mediator. Samaritans and Jews, everybody need mediator. They cannot go directly to God. They need God to come down to them and link to them in a, some visible, concrete, fleshly way, like the way Jesus did. He walked into this town. He stopped by the well. He, he spoke and conversed with them. He was not a ghostly figure. He was not some free-floating spirit who was talking through the radiation of the sun. He spoke as a human being to this woman. And that's the important. That's what she needed. And that's the most crucial thing that we need in our relationship with God. Somebody who will mediate for us. And who is that mediator? None other than Jesus Christ. 
I can go on and on about this Jesus Christ as the mediator. And that is exactly what we need, exactly what she needed, exactly what everybody in the whole world needs. Somebody to mediate us, between us and God. And take us back home to where we belong. That's God. His bosom. His house. His family. Amen? And so today, uh, I've covered four um, topics related to worship. Freedom in worship. Could you repeat that? Freedom in worship. Freedom in worship. Understanding in worship. worship. Spirit and truth-based worship. And Jesus-oriented worship. Or I might say Jesus-mediated worship. And I hope that we can remember this uh, each time we come to worship the Lord. That it is about freedom, but at the same time we have to have understanding of who we are directing worship to. It has to be in spirit and in truth, and it has to be Jesus-mediated. That's why when we pray to God and we worship God, we always say, in the name of Jesus. Have you ever wondered why we use that? It's not a formality. We need to understand what it means in the name of Jesus. That means everything is through Jesus. Because he's the one who mediated everything between God and us so that this worship can be participated by us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much today for teaching us that you desire for us to really focus on the essential and through worship, uh, the context of worship, you're teaching us how to focus on what is the most important thing. And Lord, uh, you're teaching us to be free like little children, to come before the throne of God and worship with tremendous sense of passion and abandonment. But at the same time, we need to understand that the worship must be truly focused onto the one and only true God, the triune Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach us that, Lord, and how to worship you in spirit and in truth. And more than anything, how to allow Jesus to be the mediating factor in worship, that everything is all about Jesus. Jesus taking our forms of worship and sending it up to the Father and bringing the blessings of the Father down to earth, to us, through Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. Teach us how to worship like this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.